Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Revelation 17, 1. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of the abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her head was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen and one is and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but received power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind, and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the horse sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree And give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city, Babylon, which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Babylon is an interesting city. And because it's mentioned over 300 times in the Bible, I think we should have an understanding of what it represents. The actual Babylon in the Old Testament, was an ancient city along the Euphrates River. 
Its modern-day name is Iraq, with the capital city bearing the name Babylon. So Babylon is symbolically the system that the world operates on with two major aspects. Number one, the godless religions of the world. That's the whore. And number two, the kingdoms of the world or the political and economic systems of the world. And that's the beast. And these two systems are worth watching, especially in the day that we're living in, because it's key to understanding end-time events. Genesis chapter 10 and 11 gives us the origin of Babylon. It was founded by Nimrod, who the King James Bible describes as a mighty hunter before the Lord. But that word before is actually translated from a Hebrew word that actually means against the Lord. Genesis 10.10 tells us that Nimrod's kingdom began with Babel, which later evolved into Babylon. And I want to mention that Nimrod tried to build a tower that would reach God and the heavens, but God wouldn't allow it. And the reason I mention that is because it seems to be the story of mankind, because mankind through religion is always trying to reach God on his own efforts. And religion is mentioned five times in the Bible, and four times it's mentioned in a negative sense. So not all religion is bad. James says there is a religion that is pure and undefiled. But according to what we read in the Bible, 80% of it is bad. 80% of it is negative. So the building of the tower represents man's feeble attempt to reach God. And that's what religion is. Nothing but man trying to reach God based on his own efforts and on his own works. As a matter of fact, Babylon actually means gateway to heaven. In other words, we'll get there on our own. We don't need any help from God. And that's what religion is. Christianity, on the other hand, is God, through love and mercy and grace, reaching down to mankind and pulling him up. And historically, Babylon is the birthplace of all false religion. And a false religion is anything that is not Christ-centered. If Christ is not the center of that religion, then it's a false religion, and it's leading people astray. So given that background will help us to better understand the woman that's being described here in Revelation. In Revelation 17, we have the specific judgment upon the false religions of the world through its deception it has damned the souls of millions over the years. But Jesus warned us in Matthew 7, 15 in the New Testament, he told us to beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. And that is what Babylon and the whole uh, and the whore represents here is false religion. You know, people have been misled and deceived by false religion for centuries, since the church first began. And as a result, they'll be spending an eternity in hell. And this is what's being judged here in the book of Revelation. As a matter of fact, God reserved a special judgment for this whore or for this woman. And I know for a fact that Babylon in the Bible, in all its symbolism, represents all false religions. The woman is described as a harlot, a prostitute, a whore, 
And she's dressed in dazzling clothes made of beautiful colors, and she's holding a gold cup in her hand. But the Bible says she's not just a harlot, she is the mother of harlots. She's the mother of all false religions. And in the Old Testament, the term whore or prostitute is often used spiritually to describe cheating on God by worshiping other gods or worshiping idols. And we know there is really no other gods and there is really no other idols. So when people don't worship the true God of heaven, they're worshiping something that only exists in their head or in their hearts. And an idol would basically basically be anything that you put before God, God himself would consider to be an idol, a false god. In modern day idols that people worship or put before the Lord can be money, can be pleasure, can be sports, movie stars, entertainment, your job, your car, your house, and the list goes on and on. And I know we don't intentionally try to worship idols or false gods, but in in God's eyes, what you put before him is an idol, and it's a false god. Verse 2 tells us that this prostitute, this system of false religion, seduced the kings and inhabitants of the whole earth. That word whole is important because Now it's talking about a one-world religion that is being unfaithful to the true God of heaven. And the Bible predicts that there'll be a one-world religion in the last days and a one-world government. So the Bible describes this woman as being lavishly dressed and decked out in beautiful attire. Verse 4 says that she was arrayed in purple and scarlet colors and decked with gold, precious stones and pearls. I can understand why John marveled at the sight of her. She was probably very attractive. And religion always makes herself look pretty. She has a way of making herself look attractive, seductive, and even alluring. And when John saw her, the Bible says he wondered with great admiration. The great apostle John, the revelator, the one that had the revelation of God. That should give us an idea of how powerful she can be. The angel quickly asked him, why are you marveling? Let me tell you something about this woman that you're admiring and marveling at. But don't forget what was in that shiny gold cup she held in her hand. It was the blood of the saints, everyone that died as a result of false religion or died at her hand. So it was the blood of those that were martyred for their testimony of Jesus Christ and yet wouldn't deny him. And all of those that were led astray through false religion and and deceived through false religion, that she convinced that they didn't need Jesus, that there were other ways to heaven. And verse 6 says she was drunk with with the blood of God's holy people. Those that died for their belief in Jesus Christ. You know, religion is responsible for a lot of innocent people's deaths. And it's estimated that since the beginning of the church, some 2,000 plus years ago, that over 70 million people have died as a a direct result of this woman. And I think that's a conservative number. And they said that most of them were in the last century. So there's a lot more going on in other countries than we realize. We're blessed in this country. We're not being persecuted like some Christians believe. But there's no doubt that this woman represents false religion 
And based on a previous description uh, by the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 2, and then, of course, Revelation chapter 13, she, the beast she's riding on is identified as the Antichrist and his kingdom. And the fact that she's riding atop him indicates control or, at the very least, strong influence over this kingdom or this political world power. And religion without Jesus Christ by itself is dangerous. But when it's riding atop a wicked, godless government that's empowered by Satan himself, then it can actually become deadly. And this woman represents a one-world religion, and the beast she's riding on represents a one-world government. You'll have to read Daniel chapter 2 on your own to really have an understanding of this. But we also need to understand where they're located geographically. And this will give us a hint as to who this possible one-world religion is and the kingdom or world power that she's in bed with. Verse 9 gives us a clue as to where they're located. It says, And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains or hills on which the woman sitteth. Right now, there's a prominent city on seven hills or mountains, which is called modern-day Rome. So this could be a reference to a revised Roman Empire. See, Rome is not in any military shape or uh, any type of shape where it could become a one-world government or a one-world power right now. But these things could change because the ten kings represent a conglomeration of kings that come together and uh, horns always represent power and authority in the Bible. So anything could happen. The, the Iron Curtain fell in the day, so we could see this kingdom come about in a very short time. And I'm just speculating. I can't prove anything. I'm just going based on the symbolism that's given, here, given us here in Revelation chapter 17. But it could be a revised Roman Empire uh, that actually existed and is described by Daniel as he explains the vision that King Nebuchadnezzar had in Daniel chapter 2. It's a kingdom that was, but isn't now, but will be. And so that's what it's talking about in Revelation 17 here when it says it was and is not now and will be. It's talking about past uh, kingdoms, the present condition of them, and where will they be in the future. And so... Uh, the revised Roman Empire would consist of the modern-day European Union, which is where the ten kings would come from. So that could be the one-world government. And again, I'm not the final authority on this. I'm just speculating. I can't prove it by the scriptures or disprove it. Also very near to Rome, and I've prayed about this very much because I know it's going to raise eyebrows, and it's not my intention to offend anybody, but also very near Rome and the seven hills that this horse sits on is the Vatican, which is the single most powerful hub of religion called Catholicism. Now, before I lose my Catholic friends and most of my family, I want to em emphasize that I'm not slamming or criticizing the Catholic Church in any way this morning. I was a Catholic, as you know, for 36 years and my wife converted to Catholicism after we got married so that we could be married in the Catholic Church, remarried in the Catholic Church because we didn't get married in the church the first time. And so we have a history with the Catholic Church and a love for her people. 
But if any organization could become a one-world religion and come from that region, the Seven Hills, it could very well be the Catholic Church. Now, I'm not saying it is. I'm just telling you what history has revealed in the past. She's large enough, and she's certainly powerful enough. And this is what mankind and Bible scholars think will happen. I really, like I said, have no opinion on who this church is. Also, we know from history that the Catholic Church has had her share of associations with political powers down through the years and centuries. Again, don't get mad at me. I'm just revealing something that history has already proven. And I want to say this in her defense, however. The Catholic Church has done and is doing a lot of good work around the world, and she's involved in a lot of good things in the world. The Catholic Charities and things like that, they do a tremendous work in the earth. So, again, I'm not bashing Catholics or, for that matter, any other religion or denomination. I don't care what you call yourself as long as you can tell, call yourself going to heaven because you believe in Jesus Christ. Now, having say that, said that, I must say that the Catholic Church is heavily involved in a lot of Old Testament practices that are described here in Revelation that came from pagan religions that had their roots in the religious system that came out of Babylon. For example, celibate priests, high hats, scarlet robes, gold, jewels, candles, censers, and fancy architecture, just to name a few, but there's also Ishtar eggs, uh, where we get the name and celebration of Easter. There's Yule logs and many other things. But there's more to it than that. Religion has many forms, many shapes, and many names. And this woman represents all of them, not just the Catholic Church. And at this point in Revelation, the tribulation period, we're well into the tribulation period. The rapture of the church has already occurred in all born-again believers are in heaven at this time, except those that are being saved during the tribulation period. And they're watching this unfold from heaven. So it's not a mystery to them anymore. And most of it is not a mystery to us anymore, even though there's symbolism. God never meant the Bible to be a mystery to us. It's a mystery to the world. Amen. God wants it to be a revelation to us. That's why he put it here at the end of the Bible. But, you know, believers from the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Churches, the Protestant Churches, the Lutheran Churches, the Methodists, and all other denominations that you could possibly think of that are on the earth now is non-believers, lukewarm Christians, and hypocrites. That's all that's left on the earth at this time because the true church has been raptured. So religion is still on the earth, but now it's full of religious fakes. The world's political powers are still here and all the money. And when you partner them together, the false religions and the political powers of the world, you get false, empty, greedy, adulterous religion, and you get the whore of Revelation 17 that's described here. Now, set her atop a beast that represents a godless world power, and you have a one-world government that's in cahoots with an, a one-world religion— that is united in purpose, and that's dangerous. And again, I'm not speculating. I'm not saying it's a revised Roman Empire. I'm saying it's a good possibility. I'm not saying that it's the Catholic Church. I'm saying it's a possibility. Things could turn around and could become the Muslim Church. But right now, the Catholic Church is the most powerful religious organization in the world. 
and they have a lot of influence, and they are in control of a lot of things. So the possibility is there. But don't lose sight of the big picture because Revelation is about God versus Satan. It's about good versus evil. And that's what this whole thing is all about. This is just a part of it. But verse 14 tells us that the beast and the whore will wage war with Jesus. But Jesus will triumph over them because he is now Lord of Lords and King of Kings at this point in the tribulation period. The world has been turned back over to him. The lease that Satan held that was given to him by Adam, our forefather, is run out, and now Jesus is taken over again. He's not king of kings and lord of lords now, but he will be at this point in the tribulation period, and he is at the point we're talking about this whore of Babylon. But verse 14 tells us that the beast and the whore will wage war against Jesus. And that great war is called the Battle of Armageddon. Now, Armageddon is not the battle. Armageddon is the place where the battle will take place. And it's going to be a battle of epic proportions. The Euphrates River was dried up for the purpose of a 200-million-man army to march out of the east. And I believe that to be China. And they'll be joined with Russia and some other allies. And, of course, this will comprise the kingdom of the Antichrist and his power and authority. And they're going to march to this valley called Megiddo for a showdown with the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus gathers all the saints in heaven, you and I, all those that are faithful, and he returns to the earth, to the battle of Armageddon in the valley of Megiddo. Now, I don't know if you read the end of the book or not, but if you didn't, I'm going to spoil it for you and tell you that we win and they lose. Hallelujah. But chapter 17 ends with the beast and the ten kings turning against the harlot. See, she no longer serves their purpose, so they bring her to room and they leave her, the Bible says, naked, which actually means it's symbolic of being exposed for what she is. And the Bible says they will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. But before I close this morning... I want to clarify a few things. Again, I'm not being critical of anyone's religion or denominations or some of your beliefs. But I just want to reveal the truth this morning, because this message is going to go further than it is here this morning. And it's not important to me what religious organizations or denominations that people align themselves with or how they worship. That's not important. It's not important if you light candles or burn incense or how you dress when you worship or anything else. I don't care if you believe in Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, or even Halloween or all three of them. What's important is not how you worship, but who you worship. And all the different customs and traditions that we have in the church at large, even if they're religious, have no bearing on our salvation. Even if they're wrong, even if you've been worshiping wrong, you can be forgiven for that. It doesn't make any difference if you believe in divine healing or casting out devils, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It doesn't make any difference if you believe in the gifts of, of the Spirit or speaking in other tongues or how often you have communion. 
It doesn't matter whether you were sprinkled at baptism or you were completely submerged in water at baptism. None of these things will get you into heaven or keep you out. There's only one thing you need to be 100% accurate about, and that is who you worship. And that's what determines whether you spend eternity in heaven or hell. Now, Jesus Christ, the risen Son of God, must be the center of our religion. It must be the center of our denomination. He should be the center of your house. That's what it means when you say, I have Jesus in my heart. I put him into the center of my life, into the center of my being. If not, then I ask you to run from that organization as fast as you can because it will damn your soul. Again, it doesn't matter how you worship whether it's with fancy robes and high hats and censers and lighted candles or anything else, it's who you worship that will determine where you spend eternity. And contrary to many popular beliefs, there's only two eternal destinations, heaven or hell. Nothing in between, nothing past, and nothing before. And there's a lot of people that believe there are many different paths to heaven. But the Bible teaches us clearly that there is only one way to the Father in heaven, and that's through his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't believe that the Bible is the Word of God, then I can't help you. We'd have to park company here. But if you believe that the Bible is the Word of God, then you need to heed what I'm about to say. And that is that Jesus said in John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. No man goes to heaven but by me. It's through me that you get to the Heavenly Father and heaven. Amen? We have to understand that he is not a way. He is not a truth. He is not a life. He is the truth, the way, the life. And those that believe other ways will be sorely disappointed on Judgment Day. And they will come from all walks of life, all religions. And I'm, I'm afraid to say from many so-called denominations in the Christian church. Now, we don't know who the true born-again believers are in the church. That will be determined by the rapture of the church. Amen? So Jesus also said in John 3, 5 through 7, I assure you, be certain of this. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. And this is what we're interested in is spiritual life, because spiritual life leads to eternal human life. Amen? And so we have to be sure about this, because we were born in a spiritually dead condition. So we have to experience this so that our spirit is regenerated and we are what the Bible calls being born again. And in verse 7 of John 3, Jesus said, Don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. How many believe that he's telling us that this is something that has to happen? He said you must be born again. And I know born again has been an interesting phrase. It's been considered a Christian cliche, being saved and all of this is Christian cliches. 
But all it means is that you're born again from above. Your spirit has been regenerated by God, and now you went from spiritual death to spiritual life. And that's what we have to translate to as spiritual life. So this is something that every person must experience if they want to go to heaven and heaven to be their eternal destination. You don't have to do anything to go to hell. But if you want to go to heaven, you must be born again. And we've already been born of water when we entered this world through our mother's womb. But then we must experience a spiritual birth, and that comes only from God above. And it's not hard to be born again. All you have to do is recognize Jesus as Lord, that he suffered and died for our sins. He rose from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. All you have to do is recognize and acknowledge that. And unless you believe that and have confessed him as, our, as your Lord and Savior, then you're not born again. I don't care what religion tells you or your denomination or your relatives and close friends. If you don't have this born-again experience, you will one day die and spend an eternity in hell. But if you do recognize Jesus as the only way and confess it out loud, then the Holy Spirit will enter you, regenerate your spirit, and you will become a born-again child of God, and your eternal destination will be fixed in heaven. Simple. People ask me all the time, if God loves us, then why does he send people to hell? And I always tell them, he doesn't send people to hell. The Bible tells us in John 3, 16 and 17 that God loved the world so much, he loved you and I so much that he gave his only begotten son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. So God sacrificed his only son so no one would have to go to hell. And there have been billions of people that have accepted Jesus Christ, and they've come from all walks of life and all kinds of religions and beliefs, good and bad. So there's hope for everybody. Salvation is simple. God provided it for us. But unfortunately, there's even more because broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Narrow is the way that leadeth to life. And someone once told me, says there, he says, it's hard to get to heaven because you can't fit through that narrow path. You can't walk that narrow path. I said, no, he's just telling us that more people will choose not to go that path. The path is plenty big enough for all of us. Amen. The cross is plenty big enough to carry all of us. But it's people's choices. They choose to take the wide, easy way. But there is no other way. People say, I'm a good person. I help the poor and I don't harm anyone. But I tell you this, hell is full of good people. Being good doesn't get you to heaven. Jesus gets you to heaven. Jesus is the only way. And no one is in hell this morning because they broke the Ten Commandments. And no one is in hell this morning because they committed adultery or robbed a bank or cussed or lied or looked at porn or took drugs. Or even because they murdered someone. That's, why, that's not why anybody is in hell this morning. People are in hell this morning because of one reason and one reason only. They rejected God's plan of salvation and rejected his son, Jesus Christ. That is what will send you to hell. Nothing else. I don't care where you came from, 
where you're living now, you don't have to change anything to come to God. I'm not asking you to change anything. I'm just asking you to believe this message this morning and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Don't make the mistake that other people have made. So if you're not sure that heaven will be your eternal home this morning, then I want you to pray this prayer with me. Or maybe you know you're born again, but you haven't been living right, and you want to recommit your life to Jesus Christ. You can pray this prayer with me also. So say this after me. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and I invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I thank you for it. And pray it in your name. Amen. Now, wasn't that simple? And I'm going to tell you something. If you prayed that prayer and meant it, then you're born again. Don't let no devil from hell or, or friend or relative tell you you're not. The Bible says if you confess what you just confessed, you are born again. And that means you're a child of God. Now, I know we're pretty sure of our salvation in this church, but... You never know, because like I said, we won't know until the rapture who the true born-again believers are. But God and the Holy Spirit knows who's going to be pulled out of this earth when the trump sounds and Jesus calls for his church. Amen? And there'll be people left sitting in the pews of all churches, of all types of denominations, and all religions. Because even if they prayed this prayer and didn't mean it, they're not born again. So you have to be born again. Jesus made that clear. You must be born again. Now, I trust that everyone in here said that prayer this morning and really meant it. Maybe you just uh, recommitted your life to Christ, but you have to believe that that happened in your spirit and it happened in heaven. Hallelujah. You're born again. Your eternal destination is scheduled to be heaven. And I'm telling you, it's hard to change that destination once you've decided to follow Jesus. Now, I said I don't ask anybody to change anything, and God doesn't either. He accepts us just the way we are. Thank the Lord for that. Amen? But allow him to change you, and he won't overwhelm you. He won't ask you to change your entire life overnight. He'll just put a finger on you every now and then and convict you for something you shouldn't be doing. And if you respond to that, He's made a provision for us in 1 John 1 and 9. He said that if you confess your sins, your shortcomings, your faults, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He's made it easy for us not only to get born again or get saved, whatever you want to call it, but he's made it easy for us to stay in right standing with him. I don't want to be out of his will. I don't want to be in wrong standing with the Lord. That wouldn't be very healthy for us, would it? So, you know, you're going to miss it. You're not perfect. You're going to slip up. You're going to miss it. But just have a heart like David. Be quick to repent. Don't, don't run from the Lord because of sin and shame and guilt. Run to him and confess your sins. Say, Lord, I missed it. I did such and such today. 
I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And he will every time. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.